Welcome to Fireside with Voxcake, a podcast for professional public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of Voxgate.com, which is an online community and service for speakers and event professionals. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. Pauline, it's really nice to have you here on Fireside with Boxgate. How are you doing today? Very good, thank you. Excited, it's Monday, ready for action. <laughs> You're excited it's Monday? That puts you in the 1% of the population, <laughs> I think. I think uh, if you like what you do, you are excited about Monday, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to start with, I'm going to jump right in. So you are both an event organizer and a speaker. Yes. Uh, which means you, you, you have both perspectives. Uh, but I'm going to jump right in and ask you, tell me about the largest event you ever ran. Was it successful? Uh, yeah, so um, I run a couple of different events and of course business events are different from the general public entertainment event. Uh, one of the biggest that I run was last year, which was the final of the Shamrock Cup. Uh, this was the final for the Irish American Football League with two teams playing at the Tala Stadium and it was um, around 2,000 people with everybody attending and the staff and the volunteers and the teams. So taking care of 2000 people uh, for over three hours, that was the most successful. We had a DJ that is from Poland, lives in Ireland and is a current uh, Guinness World Record holder for the longest playing session. And we also had a singer, so true American style. It was fantastic. Tell me, tell me more about that. I, the <laughs> Irish American. Football uh, League. Yeah. It was the 31st uh, uh, match, or, I mean final. So the league has been established more than 30 years ago. And okay. uh, each, uh, the, I suppose each city has its own team uh, and their own names. Belfast has the Trojans. Uh, Dublin has the Red Rebels and so on and so forth. And they meet uh, and they play during the year. And then the culmination of, of the games is the Shamrock Ball, which is always in August. Uh, also, they play in the European Cup with other... It, it's not professional. And uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, it's great fun and they have the proper um, gear and everything. I was going to ask, they have all the, all the equipment and everything. Wow. Absolutely, okay. all the equipment. Uh, the pitch is painted uh, with special lines, uh, like for the American football. And unfortunately, we uh, were not able to paint the Tala Stadium. Um, as we wanted to, because uh, there's a lot of games taking place the next day. So we had to paint it very, very lightly, but still the event was very successful. We also have the um, Irish team under 21, also um, under the uh, Irish American Football League. And they also host American players every year and they play with them. So it, it's a great initiative for people who yeah. like 
American football. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I was I was selected last year uh, to run to run their events, which um, included the Shamrock Bowl. I did not do it this year. It's a lot of responsibility, and I just didn't have time and, and, and energy. It, it, it is a big event, but last year. Was sort of, yeah, you don't sleep for forty-eight hours, seventy-two oh, hours. More. While the whole thing happens. <laughs> more. More. For sure. Uh, okay, so let's let's go back in time. Uh, you remember the first event you ever organized? Um, there was a lot of family events. Because I come okay. from a very big family on my father's side. My father is the youngest, so all of my cousins would be older. And we used to have huge family gatherings back in Poland, and I would always be involved since I was five years old. And okay. then in school, uh, I was usually every year I was a, a class president. And one of my responsibilities was organizing and co-organizing events with teachers for the class. So honestly, I was involved in event organizations since I was a little child and I loved it. It's in your blood. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) What have you learned in those years? So, uh, you know, compare yourself when you were a teenager running events to uh, last year with the the Irish American uh, Football League and with this 2000 person event. What have you learned? Uh, I so what to do differently I actually learned what I should not forget about from both experiences is to have fun and to make other people smile that's number one because sometimes when you organize events professionally there's so much stress and you forget about just having fun enjoying the process um yeah that that is number one thing to have fun to you often hear about uh, event organizers losing their temper and you are so right because the event organize, organizing was recently put on the list of top 10 most stressful jobs in the world yes and you know it's true <laughs> <laughs> it's true yes <laughs> uh, yeah it's a crazy it's a crazy it's a crazy industry that we're involved in but the highs are very high Right. It's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's amazing to make that many people happy and bring them all together. Uh, but I suppose, uh, you know, for those of us who are uh, just starting out in, in this industry, um, yes, okay, keep this focus on fun. Uh, do you have any specific bits of guidance around even the, how, how to approach it professionally? Uh, yeah. Mistakes that you've made that now you, don't, you know that you won't make again? Well, safety is number one. And um, safety, yes. Making everybody aware. um, Making everybody aware about um, the safety procedures at the venue. That's number one. Because a lot of people kind of overlook that. A lot of people think that the delegates or the guests should have it in their own responsibility. You as the organizer Mm -hmm. and your own team should make sure that everybody knows where are the escape routes and you would you would be surprised how many professional events i attended um uh, that i was invited to attend that did not have that element so for me that's number one the same when we were doing the event at the tala stadium we were printing brochures we were telling everybody via the microphone and also giving the brochures away 
with safety regulations at the stadium, how people should behave. So that's number one. We were not uh, allowed to, for example, bring, you know, the bouncy castles for the children because yeah. they, they can blow up and uh, cause an injury. So that's a stadium's policy that you can't do that. Um, there's, there's many things like that. So safety, number one. Number two, information point. There always should be an information point uh, during the event, clearly visible, so that every single attendee or a guest can just come up to that information point stand or a desk yeah. and ask a question at any time. It creates that kind of, um, it makes the attendees really relaxed. And that, that information point should be clearly visible so that they can go on and, and ask a question at any time. These are the two most important things for me as an event organizer, because everything else, the venue, the food, the music, it depends from what effect you want to create, what budget do you have, but the safety and the information and access to information is number one. It's interesting. Uh, I mean, I would attend mostly uh, technology conferences and I can't think of a single one that had an information desk. You went to the ticket place and in between people trying to give out tickets, you might ask a question. And was it comfortable? It probably wasn't. You have to fight for attention. (laughs) Exactly. And you shouldn't, you know, because sometimes you don't want to feel stupid. You you just don't know where to go. Or maybe you're in a new venue. There should be an information point. And actually in my industry, when we attend big forums, big meetings, uh, IMEX Las Vegas, IMEX Frankfurt, IBTM Barcelona, there is always an information point or points, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's a really good tip. So as an organizer, make sure there's some way for your delegates to to get information easier. And if you Um, don't have the budget, seriously, a sign and a desk with a person on it will do. Yes, absolutely. What do you think about um, event apps? So putting an app on your mobile phone. Yeah. Uh, does I, that solve the problem? Or what do you think about them in general? Because they, they sort of annoy me. I think they're I, I never <laughs> use them. Terrible. I never <laughs> use them. And especially big events, um, uh, they often uh, offer uh, the apps to the delegate. Yeah. I was asked to use them. I am sometimes not even asked, but I am literally followed by the people <laughs> at the event. Please download the app. Please download the app and interact with I don't like them. I don't see any point in using them. I know a lot of people, uh, or I follow a lot of conversation online on social media mm-hmm. that the apps are here to help you connect with the people that you can, um, I don't know, collect a few people on the app that you want to uh, associate yourself with. But I just, I don't like them. They waste my time. The only yeah. app that I like was when I was exhibiting during travel technology uh, uh, Europe in London. And it wasn't um, really an app, but I was, um, we were getting these kind of little scanners uh, in the shape of a little hand. And I had one and every single attendee had one. And if we actually uh, put them together, we were collecting each other's data. And then I was getting an email with all the information from everybody with whom I high-fived. Yeah. So I don't yeah. remember the name of it, but, but that was cool. Um, this, is the, this is the problem, isn't it? This age-old problem of how do you collect the list of people <laughs> that you met at a conference? <laughs> and that is what the app yeah. can help you with. 
if you can do that, because usually at the events in the meetings industry, the professional events with hotels, they always have little scanners and they always scan our badges. So it's not only the business yeah. cards, but if you are just an attendee, maybe a little scanner, um, which by the way, we gave back at the end of the event. Okay. Uh, we gave them back to the organizer and all that we were getting was a password and a login and just everybody's details. The, the people who you connected with. So okay. that, that was fantastic. I must say, I really, really enjoyed that. But otherwise, I don't like the, the apps. I like the feature from LinkedIn. So recently I was at an event and my friend from London told me to uh, turn on the location feature on LinkedIn, because apparently then if you're at an event, you can see if you have any connections, who is in the area right now. Ah, okay. Yes. So they've yes. done something like that. So that is good. It's kind of like Tinder, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So I'm going to change it up a little bit. Let's, uh, let's talk about public speaking as well, because um, that's another thing that you do. Yes. Uh, that's that's the that's the the other side of the the story. I've uh, spoke I've spoke a few times at different events. I'm trying to do more. I'm trying to establish myself as a speaker in in my industry with my industry knowledge, and also about business and female entrepreneurs. Yeah, it's um, and, and we definitely need more diversity, especially 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 on the tech conference side of things and. Um, you are a tech entrepreneur as well. It's, it seems to be really important when you're setting up a business to be able to do public speaking. It, it, and all the businesses I've set up have been based. My public speaking has helped those businesses work. I absolutely agree. Um, you as a CEO or a founder or whatever you want to call yourself, you are the face of your company and you are the voice of your company. And speaking publicly, not only for marketing reasons, but just, purely for visibility, for PR. Yeah. Absolutely. I was actually reading somewhere that these days, if you have a business, you have to be obviously specializing in your industry, but at the same time, you have to become a media company for your industry, delivering news, delivering podcasts, delivering yeah. um, important things. So yes, yes, hugely important. It's um, and it's a skill like any other. Uh, can you think of you? Can, can you think of the best speech you've ever given? Can you can you remember which one that was? Yeah. Mm, no, there was many. <laughs> 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 there was a, there was a. I think one of the one of the ones that I enjoyed the most was how to build a business network in a foreign country. Oh, okay. So you're an expert on this, of course. I was sharing my, um, my experiences Yeah. because it is harder. I, I believe it is harder for a person who comes in to a new country and wants to build a network because you don't have your cousins who know, who can know a few people. You don't know, you don't have an uncle who works at the department of, you know what I mean? Yes. So yeah. you have to build from scratch. And a lot and that intimidates a lot of people. It's very hard. Uh, I lived in Germany for a couple of years, and one, one part of the reason that I moved back to Ireland is uh, I wanted to start a business. Um, but I could I experienced this glass ceiling if you yes. if you weren't German. Um, 
and it it's wasn't. not it's not racism yeah by by any means but um you just don't have connections really and i know you can always build connections but if you are a citizen of berlin you've been living there for the past 30 years and you have family and friends from college from school you have so many connections if people don't realize the importance of it yeah so. it's, it's much easier but you have done it you you, you would have set up a business business iron which is which is actually pretty cool <laughs> Yes, you didn't. That's happy. Yes, um, and I worked with people all over Europe for sure, but but it was hard. But now we have internet. <laughs> yeah, well, that helps. Do you think the events people in the events industry maybe are more open to to uh, a wider range of people? I mean, it is an industry that involves a lot of travel, meeting a lot of people from from different countries. It's something I like about the industry. I love that. It's what um, it's what is fascinating me about the industry. Number one, uh, what I've noticed, for example, is that there is a lot of young people involved in the industry, especially uh, traveling. Um, once people are, um, I don't know, maybe around thirty-five, there certainly is less interest to travel as much. Yeah. So a lot of agencies, a lot of event planning agencies are hiring people in their 20s because that is one of the best things you can offer to young people, travel um, and the costs are covered by the company. Yes. It's a dream come true, right? And then when it comes to sales directors of different venues and different um, hotels or indeed bigger agencies, they travel as well, but they would be maybe representing or speaking at different events rather than traveling with the clients. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it is a great industry that way. Um, that was your, okay, so we were talking about your best speech. Can you remember your worst one? Mm-hmm. Oh, what yeah. Was, where did you crash and burn? <laughs> I, I must tell you, Richard, um, I can improvise a lot. Okay. And many times uh, I had to improvise because let's say one speaker got nervous and didn't speak or someone didn't want to do it anymore. We're talking about, you know, even community events. But there was one situation in Dublin last year when I was speaking at an event. Um, It was a business event. I think it was in RDS. And I was giving a speech about incentives and how they can help you achieve targets, incentives, travel incentives that you as a company organize for your employees, especially for salespeople. If they hit the target, they get to go to the, for the trip. And I was simply not ready. I thought I have so much information about it. I've traveled all over Europe. I've organized incentives and I thought I have it. Um, I was not prepared. I did not practice. So yes, uh, you know, knowing uh, knowing your industry, sometimes you fall into trap. Oh, I don't need to prepare. No, you absolutely mm-hmm. always need to prepare. I gave too much information. I didn't know at times what I was talking about. And uh, the thoughts in my head were multiplying. So always have a plan, even if you are an industry expert. That was the worst. <laughs> did you have a slide deck? I did, I did, but yeah. it was um, my style. My slide deck, my style is usually a photo and maybe one, two, three lines of text. Absolutely. And then I like to give a story. Yeah. So that that's what I love. That's what I like. 
So I just gave way too much information for the people to, you know, to digest, let's say. What happens, I think, this happens to me sometimes if I don't prepare is, even if it's a slide deck that I've given before, if you don't prepare, you, you end up going too slow or too fast, and then you change the, you change the slide, and you've already discussed the subject oh, yeah. matter of the slide, and then you're like, oh, oh I already said that. That is exactly <laughs> um, it. That is exactly it. So the sequence it. doesn't work. You go in a different direction, and then the slide has got nothing to do with what you're meant to say. And it, it, it feels awkward for the audience. There's a break. The, the flow is gone. Absolutely. Uh, Preparation is, is, is really important. I, I, I believe one of the ways you prepare is by listening to recordings of yourself. Yes, that is, is very true. Really, really brave because <laughs> I can't do that. How do you do it? <laughs> um, I used to uh, be a model when I was in college. And okay. I was agency represented here in Dublin. Uh, it was a part-time job. It was fantastic. I did not have a highly sophisticated plans in the fashion industry, but nonetheless, it was a fabulous experience. And I always used to practice the poses in front of the mirror. Okay. Uh, and okay. I also loved to pose during the photo shoot if I had the mirror in front of me because I was able to control my emotion, my face. And that's exactly the same rationale um, that I follow when it comes to public speaking, I record myself and then I observe my face, my emotions, my language, my tempo. Yeah. Um, because I want to know, I, I want to know how I look like. And even if I present in front of my friends or people and, and I ask them, how, how did I get on? I think uh, we are, um, we are each other's worst and best critics. So <laughs> good friends will be honest. <laughs> True, true, true. Uh, but no, maybe it's because I like to have control of it. But I do record yeah. myself. I listen to myself and, and I, I like to see um, the movements, the face expressions that I'm making. Yeah. I think that's one thing that you have to put some effort into when you start speaking is that everybody has things that they do on stage that they, unconscious things that they don't realize they're doing. Absolutely. Uh, and you know, sometimes it's saying oh man, ah, too much. Uh, I remember one speaker at an event that I had, um, he was pacing backwards and forwards, uh, but just taking two steps forwards and two steps back continuously for his entire talk. And the talk was really good. It was, it was so distracting because he wouldn't stop moving. I studied uh, um, television briefly um, in Madrid, and we uh, had a fantastic teacher that runs a news channel. And she said that every single person does something when speaking or in front of TV. It's, it's to release the stress. So some people may be blinking a lot. Some people will be moving. And that's why also I record myself. It's good to identify your stress relief thing that you do during speaking and minimize it a little bit. You're not going to get rid of it. It's there for a reason and it's important. But if you blink a lot, blink less. If you move a lot on the stage, move less, so on and so forth. But it's good to know. Yeah, it's good to know what it is. And it, or you can almost use it because then you can use it to, to relieve the stress. But it doesn't interfere with your performance. Uh, That's it. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I'm always struck by you know, the, the fact that there's this myth that some people are good at public speaking and other people aren't. Um, and I always feel... Uh, 
I always want to encourage people who say, oh, I can't, I can't stand up and talk in front of other people, that it's just another skill. It's like riding a bicycle. I believe so. I believe uh, so. You can learn how to do it. Uh, you know, not, not everybody needs to be Tony Robbins <laughs> or somebody <laughs> like that. No. Uh, but it, you, can, you can certainly reach, I think, a, a professional level. Um, do you, you, so you have uh, some interesting experience uh, uh, doing public speaking uh, in uh, English and other languages. Uh, as a non-native speaker. So that, that's uh, something I don't have any experience with. Do you want to talk about that? Do you have any advice for uh, people who don't have English as a first language but need to speak uh, for their jobs in English? Sure, sure. it's very important. Um, a lot of non-native speakers are afraid to yeah. even try public speaking. And it's a shame because they would be a fantastic professional uh, they would be um, very knowledgeable about an area or a subject. Number one is do not mind the mistakes. And I, I've been living here many, many years and I still make uh, little mistakes. So I don't worry as much about them. I try to eliminate them out of respect to my audience. But do not mind the mistakes. People know you are not an English native speaker. It's allowed. Uh, if only you should be, uh, you know, appreciated for trying in another language. So number one is do not mind the mistakes as much. Let them not take away the sleep. And number two for me is, um, of course, practice. Practice your accent. It's yeah. not about having perfect English accent from London, you know, but it is about, <laughs> but it is about people listening to you and if they can understand what you're saying that's really really important so maybe speak a bit a little bit slower than you would normally to your friends i had to work with people from all over the world and con communicate with them via the phone and it could be really problematic at times to understand someone from india speaking english from all different countries but if we are speaking a little bit slowly and more clearly and taking our time, then yeah. So number one, do not mind mistakes. Yeah. Speak slowly, speak clearly and have fun. I mean, if you have to prepare a speech in advance, learn it off a little bit, have your cards, that's fine. But you have to know what you're speaking about. So sometimes it's even better to use more simpler words rather than your sophisticated dictionary that you're not going to be able to pronounce during absolutely <laughs> this is the advice for this is the advice for english speakers as well right use yes. anglo-saxon words use those use the small words the small words are good i think uh, there's a certain irony here because uh some english speakers have very strong accents oh yeah uh, maybe not so much in america but certainly in in uh, this side of the Atlantic, uh, you know, there, there's, there, there are some, there are some very difficult to understand accents. Um, I, I have friends in Aberdeen and it always takes me 24 oh. hours to, to start understanding them. Well, um, well, imagine but, me moving to Ireland at 16 to Cashel yes. County, to Perry and, <laughs> <laughs> and attending classes. <laughs> yeah. That's a good accent. I think the other problem that Irish people have uh, in particular is we, we speak very fast. Um, the Irish accent is very fast and uh, very soft. 
so everything everything blends together. Um, you know, I, I, someone from Buckinghamshire in England or London uh, maybe speaks just a little bit slower, but the the accent is very clear. The yeah. consonants are clear compared to compared to Ireland. And of course, the Americans have the advantage that they speak quite slowly for the most part. Uh, so I think Irish people as public speakers often go much, much too quickly um, because we're used to speaking quickly. We're used to, you know, speaking and talking in the pub and you have to say stuff very fast. <laughs> uh, so in a way, you know, if you're a non-native speaker, I think that you have some, you have some advantages you, you may not realize because uh, you're naturally slowly anyway that's true yeah. and you are being conscious like myself i'm always being conscious when i'm speaking to someone okay pauline slow down because your accent could be a little bit funny slow down it's totally true richard i've been listening to many different speakers from england for example from all different areas from manchester from liverpool and sometimes that's exactly the case they're really fast and um a lot of people would not understand as much as they would think. Yes. There is one uh, North American accent which uh, is difficult to understand. Uh, Newfoundland. Uh, because there were, a lot of, there were a lot of immigrants from Waterford in Ireland uh, 150 years ago. I didn't um, know that. Wow. This, the accent, yeah, the Newfoundland accent uh, is very similar to the Waterford accent. Uh, there's, a, there's a, a strange piece of accent trivia for you. Wow. Uh, I have to. I have to ask you. Um, I have to ask you about your company as well, Currency. Um, and obviously, you know, you you you're going to be speaking about it. Um, but I, I'm interested to. I, I'm I'm just interested to hear how uh, how you came up with the idea from your experiences in the events industry, um, and what and what it's all about. Sure. So, um, as you know, uh, I am involved in the MICE industry, which is meetings, incentives, conferences, and events. Nothing to do with animals, <laughs> I promise. Um, so, the industry is huge, and yes. one of the most important uh, activities in the industry is venue finding and sourcing process. Unfortunately, the process is still pretty horrible for a lot of uh, corporate people, a lot of people who work for different companies. You have two options now. Uh, you could talk to a venue sourcing agent and he would help you personally. And I used to be that agent. I had an agency okay. before for the past three years called Hotel for Meetings. And I was that agent that had the industry contacts and knowledge. And I was responsible for bringing ideas, negotiating the prices. The problem with that is that A, it could be extremely time consuming and B, the agents are often not proposing the best ideas for you, but the higher commission levels for them. And mm -hmm. that is a common problem. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, they want to make as much money as they, as they can. So they would uh, promote and uh, present the venues with the higher commission rates. And number two, you could do a search online and there are different venue sourcing platforms. But the problem is that um, you have such a variety of choice. If you type in five star hotel London, you still don't know 
if the hotel is has something unique or something wow or something different. So what we want to do and what we are doing is we've created a platform, a private community for people who are running events uh, from different companies and corporate companies, events managers. But sometimes it could be just a HR manager being tasked with organizing the event. They log in, they are a part of our community and they have access to unique uh, venues and hotels that we highlight, we highlight their um, wow factors and facilities that are very important to event planner uh, in order to satisfy their objectives. And we connect them with each other direct in order for them to do a business together. So that's, that is the dream. My dream and our uh, team's dream is to make all of their event planning dreams come true. And instead of choosing a boring five-star hotel in the city center, I want them to find a historic hotel where the Irish constitution was drafted, which, for example, is Shelburne. Yeah. You see, a yeah. lot of people from outside of Ireland might not know that. There's so many unique and beautiful places. There is a hotel in Paris where Lumiere Brothers um, showcased the first motion picture. And then, wow. you know, and if you are a company that is doing something different, unique. Wouldn't you like to be in that special place? But the problem is that you don't know that information. And we have the platform that will allow you to find that out quickly, match yourself with the good venues and ideas, connect direct for a quote, and organize your successful event there. And then, of course, we will go a step further, um, special offers, access to first new openings, so on and so forth. Private community for very uh, for very good and busy planners. <laughs> for public speaking purposes, you're going to have to practice your elevator pitches. You need to do, for uh, sure. A venture capitalist, yes. A venture capitalist once told me you have to do a 30-second one oh. and a 60-second one and a five-minute one. Uh, if, you, if, you are targeting, uh, if you are targeting events, to attend uh, or speak at in the, the mice industry? Um, I mean, just off the top of your head, what events, what conferences in that industry are, are, are the sort of big ones or the ones? Important people... for me to speak at, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely IMEX, IMEX Las Vegas IMAX. and IMEX America um, are the big two. IBTM Barcelona also. These are the events uh, typical for the mice industry and then okay. we have a couple of different events and forums concerned with business travel business travel show in london travel technology europe uh, but the most important ones for me would be the imex and the ibtm for sure but landing a speaking gig at those is is difficult or, or do they have lots and lots of different um Stream different rooms. And- yes, they do. They have different Workshop. rooms, different streams, different workshops, different educational sessions. It just depends what you specialize yourself in and what what is the hot topic that day or, or that year. Okay. Excuse me. Uh, sustainability, for example, was a huge topic for IMEX last year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, my experiences in the tech industry, of course. So I, and I, you know, I understand the way that those things work, which, um, you know, is much more about submitting, 
specific talking proposals to the conferences. And does it work the same way in the in this industry? And the reason I ask is a lot of a lot of our speakers here are are you know people who are trying to get into public speaking and yes. you know it's important for them to understand the industry as well. No, absolutely. You you have to have a good idea, a good topic, yeah. and a good synopsis for for the um for the event. Something that would benefit the people. So I actually I did not apply to speak at IMAX this year, but I was just talking to a friend of mine who did get the spot, and her talk is about using the influencers and social media influencers to market the uh, hotels and event agencies or indeed to market your event and that is a hot topic um this year for example so she will be she will be speaking in america about that well it's i mean i've only uh, recently got into this industry and it's amazing you scratch the surface you find out how big it is it's a huge huge industry huge industry mice uh, is expected to reach one 1.2 1.2 trillion by 2023. Wow. wow. So, um, and it generates around 15% of all tourism uh, profits per country. So it is huge. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, personally, I find, you know, uh, despite the prevalence of video conferencing and things like that, in a way, I value face to face meetings with people, with peers in the industry more. Um, I don't see any of the technology causing any sort of decline. No, this is a huge topic in the industry that has been discussed by Stevent as well, which is one of the biggest yes. technology providers. And, and um, I actually saw a post even today, one-to-one meetings are here to stay in the era of uh, VR uh, taking over the world and augmented reality. They told us all that, you know, we won't be meeting anymore. We can just take a meeting. No, absolutely not. Face-to-face meetings are the future. They are here to stay um, in the Asia and um, South America. The industry is growing at the double digits. Wow. Okay. So. Yeah, that's fantastic. Pauline, thank you so much for talking to us today. Um, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you as well, Richard. And I wish everybody a great week. Enjoy yourselves. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of Fireside with Voxgig. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art Not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other. One who can also learn. Visit foxgig.com slash newsletter to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email richard at foxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, pause, 
step forward.